We do. We have a bunch of people who've gone down to Rock Creek. Some of them, several of them let me know that they wouldn't be here in class. They're going to be down there. So that's good. Go down there and support the kids. Spend some family time. Worship the Lord together. But here we are in Philippians. We're back to the first chapter. Last week we read the first 11 verses and did some discussing of the text. Let's get back into it tonight. Just to to refresh us, I need somebody to read 6 through 11. Chapter 1 of Philippians 6 through 11. Anybody feel like reading right now? All right, Janie. This work of you will bring it to the completion of the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all protectors with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, still with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Pretty good. Thank you, Jane. So he has said in verse 3 that he thanks God in all remembrance of this congregation. Every time he thought about them, he thanked God. And he prayed for them in verse 4, or he mentioned that he prays for them. In view of their participation in the gospel from the first day to... What does that mean, participation in the gospel? They supported him financially. They were participating in the sense that they were financially supporting him. If you go to chapter 4... Thank you, Philip. Chapter 4, verse 10... I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Now that I speak from, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. This is the context of that passage or this passage that's so well known by a lot of Christians. Uh, He's learned to be content in all these different circumstances. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. How do you learn to do all those things? There's only one way. You have to go through it. You have to be in those circumstances. That's the only way you can learn. And so he's been in each of these circumstances for good or for ill, but it all works out for good in the end. That's what he's continually saying. And so he says... Uh, going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. All these things that God's put before him, God strengthened him, and, and he's, he's done all of it. That doesn't mean you can fly. I can do all things. I can fly. Well, of course, if God wants you to fly, you'll fly, but that's, that's not exactly what he's talking about here. Nevertheless, he says in verse 4, and you have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. So 
they are financially supporting him. They're, they're collecting money, sending it to him. He's financially supported by them so he can preach the gospel. So everything he does, they're participating in that. Are we preaching the gospel in Kenya, Africa? Yes, we are. Because we take of our funds and we send it to Joffrey and, and he, he preaches. We help buy him a, a vehicle so he can get around. So we are participating in the preaching of the gospel. Are we participating in the preaching of the gospel in Haiti? Yes, we are, because we send funds, and we've supported Jean Gerard for years, and he's preaching the gospel and doing a great work. All of that, we're participating in that. Are we participating in getting the gospel to go out on the airwaves through Bible Talk and our website? Yes, we are. You might say, well, I never do anything. I, I don't teach a class, or I don't lead singing or whatever. Well, you're a part of this congregation, and you're being part of this body is supporting all these works. And, and more. So you are participating in the gospel. As we do it, you are taking part in doing that. That's the way the body works. All right, back to chapter 1. Now we get to verse 6, where Janie read for us a little bit ago. I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will do what? He's going to perfect. What does it mean to perfect a work? He's going to complete it. Are, are you like me? You get a project started and then, you know, well, I'll finish it later. Three years later, you're looking, I should finish that someday. Really, this is how it goes for me. See if I can kind of go through my day. I, I go out in the garage and I, okay, I'm, I'm going to build this thing and I get out there. Oh, man, i got to clean off my... My workbench, if I clean it off, all the workbench, oh, that, that saw's dull. I need to sharpen that saw, so I'll put that thing in the vise and get the file out to sharpen the saw. I say, man, this floor's a mess. I need to get to vac- clean up this floor. So I get the vacuum, clean up the floor, and then I realize, oh, this, this extension cord I need for the vacuum's got a cut in it. I need to repair that, so I'm repairing the, and yeah, that's how it goes. You just, you keep doing that stuff, and, and you never quite get around to the initial thing. That's, uh, what do they call that, uh, Handyman's ADD or something like that. But, but it's like that sometimes, probably for you too. But God is going to perfect this work. That's what Paul is praying for, for the saints at Philippi. Now think about how they've grown. How did this church start? Do what? Jesus called Paul and... Got a vision of a Macedonian man. Come over and help us. So he goes over there. He preaches. Who's the first person he preaches to? Her name is Lydia. So he preaches to her. Her household is converted along with her. Who knows how many people that was? Doesn't say. And then who's the next to be converted? The Philippian jailer. And his household is converted. Who knows how many people are involved? But when Paul writes to this congregation, what does he say of them in the first verse? What indicates in the first verse that they've grown quite a bit, that they've matured? Bishops or elders and deacons, they've got enough men who fit the qualifications to serve as elders and as deacons. Doesn't say how many elders, doesn't say how many deacons. That's an interesting thing about reading through the New Testament and the growth of the church. There's only two places I know of where you see numbers. 
Do you know where those two places are? Acts chapter 2. How many? 3,000. Did they stay there as the congregation in Jerusalem? They did not. Later on, that number grew to 5,000. And then in chapter 8, that group was scattered and they went everywhere preaching the gospel. That's what Luke writes in Acts. As best I can count, there are at least 31 different congregations accounted for in the New Testament. But there's never a number connected with any of them. Isn't that interesting? You would think one of the writers would oh, that's a congregation of about 500, congregation of about 10, congregation of about X number, but never, no numbers. Johnny? comes up occasionally, but the, uh, they refer to uh, plural overseers and deacons. And yes. And you always see that. You never see a church with a deacon or a elder. It's always elders, elders, plural, deacons, plural. So that's another. Uh, when you're looking for things, that's one of the things you should be able to find and say, okay, every time I see elders, it's a plurality. Perhaps we need to always have a plurality of deacons or a plurality of elders. That's, that's one of the things I think we can, we can draw out of the scriptures. So, here we are. Verse 7. It's only right for me to feel this way about you. Because I have you in my heart since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you're partakers of grace with me. For God's my witness how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. So he's praying in verse 9 for what? Yes. They're a loving congregation, apparently, a generous congregation, a loyal congregation, a courageous congregation, and he's praying that their love will abound still more in what? In two things. Real knowledge. Who else recently in one of our studies talked about knowledge and just kept coming back to knowledge, knowledge, knowledge? You remember? It was the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter. Knowledge, knowledge, knowledge. You go back and read through Peter, look how many times he mentions knowledge. And in the true knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we have all things that pertain to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Jesus Christ. And Paul is talking about knowledge. It's it's not enough to feel Christian. We need to know stuff. We need to know things. And believe those things and practice those things. What does Paul write in Romans about faith? Faith comes by hearing and that by the word of Christ. In other words, not hearing anything, not hearing inspiring stories. Nothing wrong with inspiring stories, but we need to hear the word of Christ. And so Paul is praying for this church that's already filled with love. Pray that you abound in love. And that you'd be established in real knowledge. And what else? Discernment. Wouldn't it be great if God would lay on America 
the blessing of discernment right now. There are so many people who just don't seem to have a clue about anything. And we used to be blissfully ignorant of that, and then they invented Facebook. And now you can get on Facebook, and you just walk away going, I wouldn't dare say this out loud, but you walk away going, these people are stupid. Some of them are in, did you say some of them are in Congress? <laughs> A lot of them. Well, there is, there is such a need for discernment, for the ability to look at things. Like when, when Paul wrote about studying the gospel and dividing aright the word of God. You, you're, Okay, this goes here, this goes here, this goes there. Just almost like a jigsaw puzzle. Everything has a place to go. Now, just because you want it to go in a certain place, well, it, it's, it's either designed to go that way or it's not. Genetics. You start messing with genetics, man, you're going to mess things up really bad. You can't do that. What's genetics? It's information. It's biologic information. This is academic, intellectual information, but it's spiritual information. And what does God tell us of his word? Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. It is living and active. And Peter writes about the hope, and he says we have a living hope because our living hope is based on the living word. And Paul is praying that the church will grow in real knowledge and discernment. Being able to know what's what. So that's a, that's a prayer we need to pray for ourselves and for our country. What? Okay. Uh, I don't know who was first, but ladies first. Uh, still supported Paul, even though he was in prison. Yes. They didn't turn their back on him because... He had been put there, right or wrong. They stayed with him and supported him and encouraged him. Exactly. Nobody was saying, well, how's that going to look when people find out that this guy we're sending money to is in jail? Yeah, mm-hmm. Or that we shouldn't do anything because he's in jail. Right, right. <clears throat> you just caused me to remember something years ago. But I, it's, not, it's not a story for in here. Uh, it's not a bad story, it's just private. Uh, where were we? Oh, Harold, you had come. I think that has to be a real goal for us, too. If yes. We grow in love and abound and real knowledge and discernment. That ought to be the goal we're working towards all the time. Exactly. And trying to understand so we can apply what we understand. And it's it's always going to be, I don't want to use the word act, but a balancing act is, is the closest analogy I can come to it. Because we're, we're trying to stick with the truth of doctrine, but we don't want to be so focused on doctrine that we forget to love and we don't want to be so focused on love that we forget to stick with truth we want to have grace we want to have mercy but we don't want to be naive and and get run over and be carried about as paul wrote by every wind of doctrine there's got to be a a solid sound basis for our thinking and that comes from the true knowledge and the discernment jamie 
Yeah. <laughs> 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 no, he's a good kid. We know Isaac. He's but he's a kid. He's learning. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's the same thing with Paul. We, we just read in chapter 4, I've learned to be content in all circumstances. How did he learn to be content in all circumstances? He had to be in those circumstances. So how do you learn as a child... Not to be this way. Well, you have to be that way, and then you get smacked for it. And you go, oh, okay, I didn't, I'm not going to be that way anymore. Or maybe I'll try that one more time or two more times, depending on which kid it is. If you have more than one, you know how this works. You know, if you have multiple children, there's, there's probably one you can just look at, and they'll crumble. And there's another one you have to beat over the head with a bat and then get a new bat. <laughs> it's like... But it's all good. It's, it's just all God made every one of them. So, Don? We had this little girl up there at the swap meet, and her mama went this way about 10, 12 feet. And this little girl, she pointed at her mama. I don't hear, mom. Right over here. And just about the time she started to scream, I said, hey, go to your mama. Turned her scream off, and she went right straight to her Good work. Yeah. That's it's all, it's all in the timing. Yeah. The preaching. They had to go through actually insane the Old Testament to come out with the the right uh, words and everything to change these people's minds. They they didn't have the New Testament. I, you just mark off the New Testament book, Peter. That was the aftermath. They had to go through the Old Testament. Well, it says here and here and here and here. And that was their way that they learned to become Christians. Right. And you may remember at, at the end of Joshua and at the beginning of Judges, what does it say? A generation grew up that did not know the deeds that God had done. Why is that significant? Because, well, they didn't necessarily have a book to go back to. But they had the deeds. And as long as you recount the deeds and you tell these children what God has done, then they will know that. And the generation that stayed faithful, as long as they were there with the men who knew the deeds and told the deeds, and even after them. Do you remember something that Gideon said? Go back to Judges in Gideon. This is uh, worthy of notice. Yes. Yes. First thing that's hit is the water and hit the most remembered that every circle away from that center gets less and less that's right. and that's what happened to the Jews God he vanished eventually and that's why we say those he became nothing yeah. Yeah. those who forget history are destined to repeat it yep uh, Chapter 6 of Judges it says in verse 11, The angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was in Ophrah, which, not the one that was on TV, who belonged to Joash and the Abiezrite and his son Gideon. And uh, was, he was beating out wheat in the wine press in order to save it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, 
The Lord's with you, O valiant warrior. And Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord's with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? What does that tell you about Gideon? He was schooled in history. He knew what God had done through the fathers and to bring Israel out of Egypt. I don't know about all the rest of the Israelites, but this boy knew he had been told, he had been taught. And yet, what are we about to read about his dad? His dad is the one who had the altar that he had to go tear down. Thankfully, and to his credit, when uh, those who wanted to punish Gideon for doing that came to his father, his father said, well, hey, let Baal contend with him. That's how he got his name, Jerubbaal. Anyway, so, so this idea of knowing is extremely important. They needed to know what the fathers had done then. We need to know now what, what God has done for us, and he's put it in a book. We're 2,000 years removed from the miracles that God did through the apostles and those upon whom the apostles laid their hands. We weren't there, like the song says. We saw thee not uh, when you rose from the grave and, and when you were crucified. We didn't see all that. Just like the other song, and I always remember hearing as a kid, mom would play that record, Johnny Cash singing, Were you there when they crucified my Lord? And no, we weren't there. But how do we know? It was written down for us. We have the record. And Paul is praying for this congregation that's already a loving, generous, working congregation, matured in Christ. I'm praying for you to have real knowledge and real discernment. That's a big deal. Right. Not as we know it. They had word of mouth from his teaching. And what have they got now? Letters. They got this letter. They have this letter. Yeah. They may have seen, may have seen others. Because I'm sure some of those letters were copied and passed around. Right. As a matter of fact, when you get to the end of Colossians chapter 4, verse 16. This is Colossians 4, 16. It says, when this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. Aha! Paul wrote a letter to the Laodiceans. Where's that letter? Are we missing a letter from the New Testament? No. God put everything in here he wanted us to have. I imagine if we had all the writings of the apostles, we wouldn't be able to carry this book around. But we have just what we need. what Luke said yeah. yeah the former treatise he talked about and anyway that, that's a good point and when Paul wrote to the Corinthians what we call the first letter in that letter he mentions the previous letter so first Corinthians is actually second Corinthians and second Corinthians is actually third Corinthians if he only mentions one other letter that he wrote so what we have is what we need I believe the providence of God which Paul is work, uh, talking about right here has has brought this together for us. Got a fudge factor? 
I thought you said a fudge factory. I was going to say, man, I'd like to be there. What it is, is he looks at you with what you have. See, what you learn, you can teach, but you can't teach anything more than what you learn. And we're never going to be perfect. No, that's the fudge factor. Why are we here in this class? Not for, for knowledge and discernment. Good answer. Good answer. We know we don't know as much as we need to know. We know there's more to know. Even Isaac Newton said, I think I've probably quoted this to you before. He said that the, the knowledge in the universe, just in the universe, by the way, God spoke the universe into existence. There's a whole realm of reality outside this physical universe that we have no knowledge of except through God. But in the physical universe, Newton said, the, the knowledge is an ocean, and we have a drop. That's essentially what it. When did they find out that there was such a thing as uh, ultraviolet light? How about infrared? See, we, oh yeah, they've always known about it. No. One was discovered in 1801. One was, the other was discovered in 1802. So, what else is there out there that we haven't yet discovered exists and we're in it all the time? I mean, you, you stop and think about it. You're looking at me, and light is enabling you to see everything you can see in this room. That's what light does. And those light waves are coming to your eyes and going in on your brain, and you're able to make sense of that with all the neurons and, and the faculties that God has given you. And yet, the light waves you're using to see things are crossing everybody else's light waves that they're seeing with, and there's no interference. There's, there's all this intake of knowledge. And right now, there are radio waves going all over this place. Uh, there are electromagnetic fields that we have no knowledge. The entire earth has uh, a magnetic field that, that we can't see, but it was, it was also, there's so many things we don't know anything about. Remember? Uh, we know there's gravity, but they can't exactly. It's a law. You better obey it. That's all I got to say. Yeah. And why do we say it's a law? Because it's, it's so regular. It's so regular. You can, you can bark it out as a law that, the created universe is marvelous, but Paul is writing to the church about things that are way beyond this created universe. The things that are spiritual are beyond the things that are physical. And Paul would write about this when he wrote to the church at Corinth as well, talking about death. He said those things that we can see are temporal, temporary, but the things we cannot see are eternal. And we are connected now through Jesus Christ to the eternal. Think about that. All the turmoil in the world, so what? It's going to pass. Absolutely. And then sin. Right. What is it that Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes? Uh, is that chapter 3 as well? I think it's right after he he wrote the lyrics to that rock and roll song or folk song. Uh, 
Who did that? That was was that the birds? Yeah. Chapter three. Verse 11, now you make of this what you will. He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity in their heart, yet so that men will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning to the end. So he mentions time. Everything's appropriate in its time. That's that's just what he said in verses 3 through 8. There's a time for this, time for that, time for this, time for that. By the way, there's never a time, he said, for anything that's immoral or ungodly. Everything he said there was a time for was something that in its own self, in its own context, was good. Even war, even killing, there's a time when that's the right thing. So we've got time, and everything is appropriate in its time, but we also have eternity in our hearts. What does that mean? I think you have an idea what it means, that we know there's more to life than just what's going on here. He said eternity in our heart, yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. And that's where faith comes in. Like the Hebrew writer said, how did God make everything? By things which cannot be seen. That's what the Hebrew writer said. All things were created of things that cannot be seen. And we didn't even know that was true until later on we discovered atoms. Think about it. When you read that your body is, what percent now of your body is water? Okay. So how, how come we just don't evaporate when we walk outside? Poof, you're gone, man. Well, there's 90% water. <laughs> yeah, it's called, it's called sweat. But, but it's that evaporation that keeps us cool. It's amazing how we're put together. And David said we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And you might think, how in the world did we get off on this from the letter of, to the, of Paul wrote to the church at Philippi? Well, he's, he's talking about things that are way beyond the values of this world, about supporting a man who's in prison to preach the gospel because we're not... We're not concerned with what him being in prison. We're concerned that the gospel go out because the gospel is the only hope for eternity. That's it. There is no other hope for eternity. Just like a couple said, uh, I was talking to them, they came to the church in Carbondale, and they were baptized into Christ, and they said, Marty, there's just nothing out there. There's nothing out there talking about the world. And they're absolutely right. There isn't anything out there. All of human history has provided nothing to even come close to equaling the gospel. The gospel's it. That's all there is. And that's what Paul is in prison for, and that's what they're supporting him for. And so he's writing back to them to commend them for all this. Where are we here? Verse 10. We made it up to verse 10. Chapter 1, verse 10. So that you may approve the things that are excellent. That's why you need knowledge and discernment. So you can approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. Well, now, why do you have to have knowledge and discernment to be sincere? Can you be sincerely unsure? That doesn't even sound right, does it? 
to be sure, to be to be sincere, you have to know. You have to that that's what you're telling. I'm sincere. I'm 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 sure. I'm kind of sincere. I'm sort of sincere. Sincere. No, that's not sincere at all. Exactly. So you need a little knowledge. You need a little discernment. You need a lot of knowledge. All right. <laughs> as much knowledge as the context demands anyway. So that you can approve the things that are excellent. Having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That's one of those statements it would be easier for me to just kind of pass over. Filled with the fruit of righteousness. What does that mean? What is fruit in the first place? Where do you get fruit? What? What kind of trees? Fruit trees? Yes. What kind of fruit trees? Mature fruit trees. Have you ever read the law, what it said about planting fruit trees when they got into the promised land? Don't eat them for the first three years, and what do you do the fourth year? All that in the fourth year. You can't eat a fruit from a fruit tree until the fifth year, if I remember right. And you seem to be remembering that, so. Uh-oh, yeah. <laughs> well, that was the law. You're not Jewish. You're an uncircumcised Gentile. You can eat all the fruit you want whenever. That's, that's the freedom we have in Christ. Is that the way that's supposed to work? But the bottom line is fruit comes from a mature tree. The fruit of righteousness you don't get that until you've practiced righteousness and there's a degree of maturity that comes with that. You can't just say, oh, uh, I'm going to practice righteousness tonight and tomorrow I'll enjoy the fruit of it. Well, you, you can't practice righteousness Exactly. It, it's all interconnected. That's where the knowledge and the discernment comes in. And if you know that, well, then you can do what's right because you know what's right and you can be sincere about it, which is what he's talking about. And when you sincerely do what's right, then you eventually have the fruit of righteousness. When Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, he talked about the armor of God. How did he throw righteousness in that armor? What did he use? What imagery did he use? The, the breastplate of righteousness. And for a soldier, that was probably your most important piece of armor because it, it protected your, your upper body. How does that work? Somebody throws an accusation at you. Oh, so-and-so did so-and-so. And somebody who knows you says, no, I don't believe it. Why would they say that? Because they know you and they know they would never do that. I, I know them. Now, you can be wrong about that, of course. But the bottom line is, righteousness is spoken of as a fruit. Fruit doesn't come until there's a degree of maturity. And we're talking about time. I like everything to come right now. I've quit going to the McDonald's down on I-40, down here at Love's. Anybody else? Because they don't get the food out fast enough. 
I'm not standing in line at McDonald's for McDonald's food. I'm going to stand in line. I'll go someplace where the food's good. Can I get sued for that, saying that? Yeah, I guess. You have to be hungry. But, but see, the problem is there's a Sonic across the road. You go down to Sonic, they'll have your food out there in as much time as you ought to get it from at a Sonic. Maybe. <laughs> Am I sincere about that? I have perfect knowledge of it. <laughs> I truly, <not>, yeah. <laughs> I, I have, I have been there. I am experiencing the fruit of of having gone through this. I have learned to be hungry, and I have learned to be uh, abounding in uh, Sonic burgers. So. Well, that's true. You've got to figure out, are you willing to eat a Sonic burger? Well, it used to be my favorite hamburger, and I don't want to get off on that, but, but it's, it's too late. It's already happened, hasn't it? I don't know how I got off on this, but, but we're talking about Paul writing to this congregation that just bloomed and blossomed and now has elders and deacons, and they're supporting his work. This is the fruit. They are the fruit. And they're producing fruit because they're supporting him. And through him, who did we learn last week, now knows the gospel? Do you remember? Two, two groups of people. Do you remember the Praetorian Guard? When you watch the movies about the Roman army, you would never think the Praetorian Guard would have anything to do with the gospel. But when you get down here in, uh, in verse 13, right here in chapter 1, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. You don't think those Praetorian soldiers appreciated that? Those are guys who knew what courage was. They had to face battle all the time. And here are these people who, this guy's in prison and they're still coming to visit him. They don't care. They're coming to talk to him and, and let it be known by the elite troops of Rome. Yeah, I don't care. I love Paul. I appreciate the gospel. I love Jesus Christ. It's, this is the fruit of righteousness that we're seeing as we read this. And then you get to the last chapter again. We keep doing this, don't we? We jump back to the last chapter. Uh, verse 22. What's verse 22 say? By the way, church at Philippi, I want you to know that all the saints here greet you, especially who? Those of Caesar's household. So we read this, and we think, oh, Paul's in prison. That's horrible, man. Well, maybe not. If he wasn't in prison, the Praetorian Guard probably wouldn't have heard the gospel. If he wasn't in prison, Caesar's household might not know the gospel. But the Praetorian Guard does know the gospel. And Caesar's household has people in it who are Christians. And this is the way it works. And over time... We, we see the Philippians have supported Paul to the point where this is the fruit. This is the fruit, and there's more fruit to come. When you plant a fruit tree, you don't expect to get fruit off of it once. You expect there to be a consistent harvest from time to time as the season permits. And so you take care of that tree if you love that fruit. And that's what the church is supposed to be doing is taking care of itself and taking care of its members. Uh, even you know, Jesus used this analogy of the vine. I'm the true vine. You're the branches. 
every fruit that bears fruit, what am I going to do? I'm, I'm going to prune it, take care of it. Yep. Plant that seed. The sower went forth to sow. Sowed on different kinds of ground. But there was good ground and it brought forth. And that's what we want to do and that's why we're, we're studying these things. We want to produce fruit as well. And we don't always know how it works, do we? Remember in school, science fair? I don't want to do a dumb science project. I know what I'll do. I'll get a bean. I'll put it in some cotton, put some water on it. Yeah, you don't have to raise your hand if you do that. But what does every one of those beans do? It sprouts. How does it do that? I don't know. Nobody knows except God. What's that song we sing? He holds the germ within his hand. Now, that doesn't mean the germ you get a cold from. That means the germ of life God holds within his hand. We don't yet know. I don't know that we'll ever know what, what life really is. But, but it's, it's real. It's the most real thing there is. Jamie? Well, that's a good way to look at it. And a lot of life is like that. It the the, the parameters for life are I mean think about it. What temperature does it have to be for you to be comfortable? What's the leeway? About five degrees leeway? Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, anything above or below that? How, how does that work over 6,000 years of human existence? We've, we've managed to find ways to keep ourselves cool enough in the summer and warm enough in the winter that we don't die for one thing. But, but now, oh, air conditioning. Thank you, Lord, for Mr. Carrier. Bless his soul. What's that? We are spoiled. And still we fight over who's going to adjust the thermostat. Because I want it at 67. And all the ladies just got to chill. Because I'm fat. I need 67. And yet, we're writing or reading about things that goes so far beyond the physical parameters, but the physical parameters are showing us at the same time that there are spiritual parameters. What did Jesus say about the ways? There's a broad way. Where does it go? Destruction. And there's a narrow way. leads to eternal life. And we have to decide. And I'll go home tonight and get on your computer and... See, what would you Google to find this out? Uh, the finely tuned universe. There are all these factors in the physical universe that have to be just right for us to exist. Not us as peoples, but the universe to exist. And if any one of those factors gets an nth of a degree out of sync, the universe would be gone. Go home and take a look at that. It's, it's really fascinating that this has been discovered and it's one of the evidences for the existence of God now as we understand 
those arguments that can be made from science. All right, uh, class is over. Uh, I've enjoyed it. I hope you have. Lord bless you.